The low post is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Check out Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio Monday through Friday from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern for the insights from former number one pick in the NFL draft, Keyshawn Johnson, along with the number two pick in the NBA draft, Jay Williams, and, of course, host Max Kellerman on the latest news from the NFL and college football. That's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and ESPN News, or listen to the podcast of the show. The Peabody, an Emmy award-winning 30 for 30 film series, presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary event about the city, the swagger, and the wild ride of the 1986 Mets, the team that got me into sports. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams in their legendary World Series comeback. Hell yes. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lopper and more. Watch parts one and two of Once Upon a Time in Queens, Tuesday, September 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, followed by parts three and four, Wednesday, September 15th, also at 8 Eastern on ESPN. And it's available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app immediately after its premiere. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast, where it's mid-September we're a month away from the 21-22 NBA season. It's time to remember things like Tony Snell plays for the Portland Trailblazers. The Milwaukee Bucks just won the NBA championship. We're back, baby. We're back. And to help us go through some maybe overrated, maybe underrated teams, the one and only from Sports Illustrated, author of the upcoming book, Blood in the Garden, is that what it's called? Blood in the Garden, which you will absolutely have to buy about the 1990s Knicks. The people's favorite guest, Sports Illustrated's Chris Herring. How are you? Wow. <laughs> I'm doing okay, Zach. How are you? I appreciate that intro. <laughs> I'm about two-thirds of the way through Blood in the Garden. It's fantastic. We will do a proper podcast closer to the January release date. It's awesome. Congratulations. Unless it ends horribly. I don't know, Chris. Unless the last 100 pages takes a, uh, takes just a left turn to nowhere. Congratulations. It's going to be a home run. Thanks so much. I don't, I don't think it has an ending necessarily that Knicks fans are going to be surprised by or, you know, in love with as far as the, the outcome. But, um, but I did spend some time just trying to craft it nicely. And uh, I appreciate that you're enjoying it because I, you know, obviously I respect your work a lot. So thanks so much for even reading it in the first place. I appreciate you. There, there are dog ears. There are notes. There are highlights. I'm going to be ready to go by the time we podcast. Okay. So I gave you a homework assignment for this podcast, yes. which is pick, th- pick three teams we each pick three teams that we think are a little better than what appears to be consensus, d- depending on how you define consensus. Maybe it's Vegas line, whatever. And three teams that we think are a little worse than consensus. So because I am a generous host, I will let you lead off. You can pick any team you want on the good side, the bad side. Who are you most excited to talk about for whatever reason? Go Chris Herring. I So... The good side, the, the glass half full side, where I'm trying to figure out why everybody else's glass is like empty, you know. I, I can't understand, maybe you can help me understand, why so many people kind of in our line of work are not higher on the bulls, quite frankly. Uh, I mean, they, it's very clear what they were trying to do. You know, they got Levine in a situation where his contract is about to be up. Um, I mean, by any regard, I think you would have to look at this last season he had and said, this is someone that at least skill-wise and and just talent-wise, whatever questions you had about him three years ago, however long ago that was, uh, this dude is a guy you can build around. You know, is he a complete franchise player that can win you a championship? I don't know. You can can build something around him. You can build build something around him. I could build a house around, you know, a, 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 creek, a cracked foundation. I could build it. doesn't mean it's going to be a good house, but I could build something around it. I mean, look, and this is a franchise that, you know, before this regime obviously had Jimmy Butler. And there was a question. You know, I don't know if it was a good question, but it, there was a question about whether you could build around him. And we've since seen his team go to the finals, you know, a team that was led by him. Uh, you know, it's Levine in that caliber. I don't know. Uh could he be just as far as how skilled he is offensively? This guy is pretty incredible. And this last season, unless you think it was a fluke, and I don't think it was, uh, you can build something around him. Uh, he's still young enough. So anyway, you know, they took his situation, and we're talking about someone who, before they traded for Vooch, had the highest usage in the NBA in fourth quarters. Um, we're talking about someone that has turned the ball over 
more than he's assisted in clutch situations for each of the last three years. So someone that, um, you know, maybe is not the best distributor as of right now and someone that, you know, as teams dis- decide to key in on him, I think struggles a little bit as far as decision making, as far as where to go with the ball. And they just decided to put a, a bunch of scoring around him, more distribution around him, and you know more veteran talent around him. And that started last season with, with the trade for Booch. Um, they also went and got a player, I would argue a couple of players that are known for their defense at the point of attack. It's and, and you know for the most part, all these guys can shoot. Now, obviously, DeRozan is not someone that is shooting from outside, doesn't really want to, and when he does, is not really effective at it, but. This is a guy that we're talking about that gets to the line essentially more on a rate statistic level than he ever has before. That was more effective from mid range where he loves to shoot from than he's ever been before. And, you know, as a six or seven assist per game guy himself. So I, I really like what they did. I at least understand what they were doing. Um, and I'm a little bit confused why people are so low on them. I, I think DeRozan is just kind of still a polarizing player. But for people that watch DeRozan and San Antonio, that's a damn good player. And for a team like Chicago that could use damn good players, aside from Levine, I'm all for it. I, I, you know, I'm a little bit confused why I feel like I'm alone with it. So let me put it to you. When you say you're all for it, you're bullish on the Bulls. Like, where do you see them finishing in these? Are they better? So, so we just did, ESPN just did the, the top six uh, projected records in the East or whatever, and it went... Uh, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, in some order. So that's six. Is Chicago going to finish ahead of any of those teams? If you're below those teams, obviously Philly, we have the whole Ben Simmons debacle situation. So yeah, so who is Chicago finishing ahead of? And if they're not finishing ahead of any of those teams, they're in the play-in tournament. Right. I mean, I, I think it's feasible that they could finish in front of maybe one of those teams just by happenstance. You know, I don't know that everybody, you know, and we'll have this conversation, obviously. Um, but I would say that there's a, a decent chance that at least one team that they just, I, I, I think Chicago could realistically finish. And this maybe sounds crazy, but if everything went right for Chicago, like if you're going to nitpick or not even nitpick, if you're going to critique what you don't like about them and you say, well, defensively, I don't love this team. You know, Levine is just okay if he's even that good defensively. DeRozan is bad defensively. Vooch is not like really, really, like really, really bad, really bad. DeRozan is really bad on defense. I get it. Um, you know, they they also went and got Lonzo. They got Alex Caruso. You could play lineups in which you're using some of those guys and not all of them at one time to try to neutralize how bad some of those guys are on defense. Um, and it was a team that finished decently last year. Granted, with different sorts of rotations and different sorts of players and sometimes using two big lineups and stuff like that. Um, but if they can finish average defensively, and you know, I think that they have enough talent and skill on that offense to potentially, I think, pretty easily be a top 10 offense with who they've got. If they do that, I mean, if we're talking about an average defense and a top 10 offense, it's a team that theoretically should be finishing in the top six or seven of the East. And so I'm not exactly sure I'd have them in front of. I actually do know who I... I'll say, and I think it would surprise you, but it would also take away from one of the teams I'm a little bit pessimistic about. So okay, don't, don't, don't spoil it. Don't, exactly. Don't spoil it. <laughs> exactly. So, so the concerns about Chicago are, look, I don't, I don't, I'm like, eh, on what Chicago did in the offseason. I thought they wildly okay. overpaid for DeRozan, uh, both in terms of players and picks and all that. Love the Lonzo deal. Like Caruso a lot. Um uh, I think Pat Williams is one of the most interesting and important young players in the NBA. He's super important I think, now. I, I, but I think he's 19 or 20. So like he's, he's just on a different timetable than the rest of this team. Clearly sure. there's a push. Just get back to relevancy. Get back into the playoffs. My concern is, is both short-term and long-term. Long-term, I think they've given up a lot of draft equity. And they got some of it back in the market and Nance, Derek Jones, threesome. Um, but... They've given up a lot of draft equity to build a team that I just don't see a real clear path for this team with Vucevic at 30, I think, and DeRozan at 31 to ever really contend for a title. Like, if you put it to me right now, do the Bulls win a playoff series? How about this? Do the Bulls win multiple playoff series in the next four years? 
I don't like not necessarily in the same postseason, but do they win more than one playoff series in the next four years? I might lean no. Like I don't, I don't, I don't feel so strongly either way. I might lean no. I would lean strong no against them winning multiple in the same season in that span. And if that's the okay. case, then I think they've given up too much. But, but you mentioned a top ten offense. To me, that's the key question because I think this is going to be a below average defensive team. I don't think they can get to average, even though Billy Donovan's a good defensive coach. If they're a below average defensive team, the difference between play in. And top six is going to be, is the offense like eighth or is the offense fourth? Because I think sure. this is going to be a really good offensive team. Really good. I think there's been way too much emphasis on what DeRozan can't do and not enough on how he will make Levine's life easier. Levine is one of the best cutters in the NBA. The more just recalibrating Levine, 10%, 10% from on-ball creation, shift 10% of that to off-ball finishing, both from three and cutting baseline, is huge for him because he's not good enough distributor to be on ball as much as he has been. Vucevic is going to... Vucevic and DeMar can both post up mismatches. Vuce is obviously an elite pick and roll. Fulcrum, like, I think offensively they're going to be good. Um, it's defense and it's depth for me. Like, how many guys off the... Off the now, I think Derek Jones could help. Tony Bradley is an okay backup center. The Simonovic kid they're bringing over is interesting. But Caruso is by far their best bench player. Then it goes Kobe White. And then it's like kind of a bunch of wild cards that I don't know what, you know, Troy Brown Jr. We've been waiting on Troy Brown Jr. for three years. And anytime depth is a concern for a team that needs a lot to go right in the regular season, that really concerns me because you mentioned if everything goes right. Everything never goes right. That never happens. Someone is getting hurt. Someone's going to be unhappy. There are going to be chemistry issues, and you need a next line. And I'm not sure about this next line. So I actually think ESPN's top six, is, which I did not contribute to, full disclosure, is I think those are the six teams I would choose, which means by default I have Chicago in the play-in, which by default I guess I'm one of the – I'm one of the negative Nellies and Debbie Downers that you're Look, that you're no, upset. I, you're upset, Chris. You're upset with me. You're upset with my negativity. I'm not. Uh, I look. I think the depth part. I, I wrote about them a couple weeks ago. I guess it's been more than a couple weeks ago. The depth is clearly one of the things that I'm I'm curious about. Uh, I hated that they had to part with that young. I mean, obviously, you kind of needed to to make some of this stuff work. Or maybe maybe you didn't need to, but it was you know they were going to have to give up some things to try to just make some of the stuff fit with with like you said with paying for DeRozan and everything like that. So I think that part of it is fair. If they had a little bit more bench depth, I think maybe it's a, a different conversation and maybe feel a little bit differently about them. I'm actually working on something related to them pretty soon, and just got off the phone a couple hours ago with Archeris Karnasovis, who obviously runs the the basketball side for the Bulls. And I asked him just straight up to your point about uh, is this a team that realistically can kind of win a couple playoff series? He didn't quite take the bait there, but he did essentially yeah, he, he, He's elite. Arturis is elite. At, he doesn't just not take the bait. He like looks at the bait and, and spits at it with disdain. He will not be taking any of your bait. Your bait could be the most delicious hoagie yeah. in the world. <laughs> he's not taking it. I, I, I looked at my notes after we got done talking. I was like, damn. You know, I was trying to look at all the little traps that I laid. And I'm like, did he take the bait on any of these six things? But, but Actually, you know what? Point. You know what, though? Can I interrupt you for a second? His coach yeah. is also an all-time great. And I don't mean this as a negative, really. You interview Billy Donovan for half an hour. And during the interview, you're like, man, this so is much great awesome. Like, I'm so entertained by everything <laughs> yep. you're saying. This is amazing. And then you listen to it again, and you're like, he said nothing the whole time. He said nothing. It's incredible. I remember that about interviewing him in Oklahoma City and remember feeling that way a couple times. It's, it's crazy. It's like quicksand that goes through your hands, it feels like. But, um, you know, what Artura said I thought was interesting is just that, you know, of course you noticed what Phoenix did. And I think even in their own conference, of course you noticed what Atlanta did as far as not being a playoff team one year and, you know, hoping to make the playoffs the next year with upgrades that you make. And then you look up and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're, you're a couple of games away from winning the whole thing, or you're a couple of games away from making it to the finals. And so, you know, I, I remember this time last year being somewhat critical of Atlanta, for instance, 
and saying that I thought that they spent really big a little bit early, in my opinion. Um, not really sure of whether the pieces matched and not really sure of whether the timelines matched at all. Um, and wondering about whether there would be log jams with certain guys that they had. All, a whole bunch of those guys got injured, which I actually think simplified things for them a little bit. Um, but it obviously worked out for them. They, they caught some breaks along the way. Um, but, you know, I, I think you have to roll the dice and gamble a little bit. Certainly, if you're Chicago, you've got the ability to spend it. Uh, they traditionally have not spent as much as I think a lot of us would expect a, a market like that to. So the fact that they did that, you don't get points just for doing that. But I do I do see a path in which it could work. But I, I, I do, too. I don't mean to be so pessimistic. I just wouldn't pick them in the top six. But they sure. have the uh, they have the upside for sure of a top six team. Like, I, I don't think that's that's out of the realm. I just wouldn't pick it. Uh, I am interested, though, in. I'm going to let you pick the second team and I want it that we discuss and I want it to be the team you alluded to before because okay. it's one of those top six teams in the East and I have a few of those on my list. So I want to hear who it is I, and it's a I'm negative really, Nelly team. I'm a really curious, I'm really curious to know whether it's the same team that you have. So it was a team that I just mentioned. It's the Hawks. Um, and I think for me, the reason I'm going in that direction here is Quite frankly, I think everybody's just kind of expecting the Hawks to just improve because they're young and because they've got some guys on their roster that are young. Um, I think they can improve. It's not to say that I think for sure they're going to lose way more than they did last season, but I don't think it's sustainable at all that they can win at the rate that they were winning at at the end of last season, which was nuts, um, where what did they have the second or third best record in the entire conference uh, or the entire league? you know, after the all-star break when they put Nate McMillan in charge. Um, I do think that they benefited a little bit in the playoffs, although quite frankly, they were banged up too. DeAndre Hunter was hurt. So they'll get him back. So I think that's their upside is that they'll have Hunter back. I think the downside for me is that I think a lot of times we kind of look at situations and we just assume that they'll be linear. These guys are younger. They're going to get back to exactly where they started. Um, You know, Philly probably should have taken them out. They obviously did not. But I think that that alone kind of changed the way we thought about the Hawks when they were able to get through a second round and win a second round. So I'm not completely convinced that that happens again. You know, I know that they're going to be a sexy pick for a lot of people because of what they did, because Trey Young is on a lot of people's radar screens now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just not completely convinced. Like I, Gallinari looked rough at times and then would have a really good game or two. And same thing in the playoffs. Lou Williams was a bet that they had that now you swap him out and you bring in Sharif. So I, I just, I, I wonder a little bit about how certain things are going to operate, but more than anything, I'm kind of banking on the idea that some of the guys that really played well last year that are young, that I think everybody's expecting to take another leap forward. I don't think that all of those guys will. I think some of them probably won't. I don't think that they'll be quite as hot as they were to end last season. So I'm a little bit more pessimistic about them than I think the average person is. Well, this is fun. This is fun because I have the Hawks on the other side of the ledger. I'm more optimistic on the Hawks than I think the average person is. And I don't know what the – look, the average person, I don't know. I just hear when I talk to people around the league about the Hawks, some of what I hear is what you just said. A little fluky, a little unproven, won't get that far in the playoffs again, have to prove it. I feel – I feel like pretty close to pulling the trigger on the Hawks finish third in the East prediction over Miami, Philadelphia, and Boston. I think the Hawks are legit. I do think all their young players will improve, but the biggest reason I think they're legit is, A, I I thought uh, backup point guard DeLon Wright, that's a nice signing he can play with, Trey Young. Gorgie Jang to take the Okongwu minutes while Okongwu is hurt was a nice backup set. I think... People have for look. I think the Hawks are going to win more games in the regular season and not get as far in the playoffs as they did. How about that? Hmm. Like they will. Yeah. I don't think they'll get to Game Seven or whatever games. I don't think they'll get to the conference finals again. Um, so that's interesting I, that you're saying that you're more optimistic about them, but you think they'll go. So it's it's kind of like a well, no, no, you you can first. you 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 can be a better team and not get as far in the playoffs depending sure. on matchups. Is Brooklyn healthy? Do sure. Brooklyn and Milwaukee avoid each other in the second round? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I think the Hawks will be better this year because I think what people have forgotten is they did what they did in the playoffs with Bogdanovich was banged up. Hunter was out. 
Reddish was out until the end, and then he came back with like, whoa, maybe I right. shouldn't be the odd man at those last two games against Milwaukee. He's like, hey, wait, everyone's assuming you're going to trade me for a lottery pick. Maybe you, maybe I should be the one that you keep. Um, right. And I, I don't – like when they're healthy, they are super, super deep. Like their wings alone, Reddish, Hunter, Herter, Bogdanovich, the kids they drafted, Lou Williams, Solomon Hill. And and if you don't want to play Jeng, you play John Collins at center, which was a successful look last year. They were like plus four per 100 possessions with John Collins at center. I love the way John Collins played in the playoffs. I felt he became and discovered himself as a different kind of more winning player. Everyone's going to focus on, well, is Trey Young going to be hurt by the new officiating rules that aren't going to reward him sticking his butt out and hitting people? You know, I just... I, I guess I got to see that to believe it. Like, I think Trey Young is a legitimate offensive star. And did the Hawks get a little lucky not running into teams that could hunt him in the playoffs, like the Knicks and, and the Sixers? Maybe. But I, I think he's still an offensive star. I just think this team's going to win a lot of regular season games. I think they're a really, really good team. I think they might finish third in the East. So it's interesting we're on different sides of the ledger. To me, the, the Trey Young Capella bookend. Makes a lot of sense. The talent around it is both uh, complimentary and deep. I, and I just think they're going to win a lot of games. I, I, I really like their team. And I, I, I frankly, Chris Herring, don't understand the skepticism. <laughs> Look, I, they, they could prove me wrong. They're, the thing I love about this this year, seemingly a little bit more than most years, I feel like there's so many teams that have the potential to just make me look like an idiot. I mean, every team at some point has made me look like one anyway. But, um, I mean, even some of the teams that I think you could have as low down as like 12th in their conference, but then actually see them finish like 7th, 6th. I think there's a couple teams in either direction like that, which is just unusual. Uh, I guess every now and then you have that. But, like, there, there's some teams that I'm very low on, and there's some teams that I feel like I'm very high on that I'm – that just I don't know they're, they're you know they generally finish somewhere in the middle in terms of the over under that has been put out by the, the books and stuff like that but I don't know what to expect from them and very easily could be wrong on any of them the Hawks are certainly one of them and uh, I think a lot of us were wrong on them last year I, I was intrigued I told you last year I thought they were the most intriguing team last year no you um, you can't walk it back to last year and try to be happy about the Hawks Chris no Aaron, no, no, no but I was wrong year. I was wrong I was wrong last year I said they were the most interesting team to me last year but they were I was still wrong on. I said I thought they pulled the trigger too early on spending big. Um, but they and were the Bogdanovich, most interesting team. And Bogdanovich and Gallo were not healthy for nearly all of the regular season last year. I think the Hawks are good. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know what? I'm, I'm going to let you pick the next team, whoever you want to talk about. Because I have a feeling we're going to overlap on a few, so I'm going to let it roll with you. Okay. Um, I like this because I feel like you and I are normally – I won't say lockstep, but I think we normally agree a lot more in this, but I kind of feel like from the tone of it that we've got a couple more we're probably going to disagree on. Pessimism. I, I have the Warriors really high on my pessimistic list. Really high. Um, I don't have and, them on either. I, I don't have them on either end of my ledger. Um, okay. I think their over-under is set at 47.5 by Vegas, right. which is, which is a, a, you know, a 48 and 34 kind of record. 
I'm right. going to bring up my Warriors depth chart now. While I do that, you make your argument for Warriors pessimism. It's just I, I think the, the, the huge elephant in the room for them is is obviously Clay. Um, I you know me and my coworkers at Sports Illustrated, and I think all these sites probably within the next week or two are going to probably roll out their their you know NBA ranks, their top 100s, what have you. Uh, we're going to roll ours out soon at SI, and we were kind of going back and forth about where to rank Clay. Um, and having our conversations about him, obviously a wonderful player when he's healthy. Um, he's been out for two years now. And while I think it's helpful that he's not a guy that's handling the ball a whole, whole lot, he's not a guy that's really, you know, relying on his athleticism to really get by people or anything like that. Um, it's a long time away from the game. He plays a pretty demanding position when you consider what he normally is asked to do defensively. Um so, you know, you, hopefully he can get out there and he can hit shots. He can still, you know, be difficult to defend just because of how he moves and stuff like that. We don't know that for sure. You know, I, I, he was supposed to have been back last year and then had the setback. So hopefully he's himself. We don't know what himself looks like after two years away. Um, but if he's himself, if he can play a lot of games, then obviously that, you know, you can kind of knock what I'm saying out and just say that, no, they're going to shoot past what the expectations are. I think the question that's just as big if not bigger though than clay is just how much youth is in their rotation uh obviously they took two lottery picks and aside from that they still have Wiseman on the roster and i you know i remember tom thibodeau talking about this when he coached the bulls and when the bulls had two uh two i think they had two lottery picks one year i can't remember who they had i think it was maybe McDermott and somebody else that they had that year that they, and the question was kind of like, well, Tom, how much are you going to lean on your rookies? And Thibodeau had this response ready, just kind of off the cuff. He was like, you know, you haven't had a team win a championship with two rookies in the rotation since XYZ. And it was like 1974 or something like that. Uh, you know, and I think he was saying it preemptively to say like, don't expect me to be playing the rookies a whole, whole lot because we're trying to win a championship here. Um, so that said, I just feel like there are going to be some growing pains that come with that. They obviously have a ton of talent, a ton of skill with Steph. Wiggins took a huge step forward, like a really, really, you know, honest to God step, seemingly, that I think a lot of us have been waiting to see from him. Um, Draymond is Draymond. You're going to get Clay back. So on the surface, I understand why people would think that this is a team that should contend, can contend, can compete can win 50 games, which is essentially what you're saying when you have them at that over-under, potentially. I, I just think that I could honestly see a, a scenario in which they're kind of closer to what they were last year um, because they're adding more youth to the rotation, and I feel like it might take a little bit longer to figure out how to play in a system where you're going to be more reliant on what you were doing earlier, where it might take some time to kind of learn that for some of the guys, where to position themselves, how to play alongside a team like that. They are one of the hardest teams in the league to project for obvious reasons, mostly Clay Thompson. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know what he's going uh, to look like. Um, and we also don't know what guys like Nemanja Bielitsa and Otto Porter Jr., who, who they got much praise for signing at the minimum, we don't know what those guys are going to be able to contribute because I can tell you what they contributed last year to their teams. Not nothing. Much. <laughs> a whole lot of nothing. Otto right. Porter basically hasn't played in two years. I mean, same, he's played like 20 games here, 30 games here. He just doesn't play. So, yeah, those guys sound great. Like, oh, my God, they can play stretch four. Bayelitsa can be a stretch five. That fits with this Golden State ethos. Okay, maybe. We'll see. But <laughs> once again, we disagree because I think – look, <laughs> I love this, this, all de this all depends on Clay. Like, let's, let's, not, let's not pretend we know – what Clay is going to look like or when he's going to come back. Like, I'm not a scientist. Even the scientists don't know. Um, if Clay is not, if, if we get to, it's so great to be back on the NBA calendar, by the way, because I can now say if we get to April and May, and I'm actually talking about the playoffs and like normal, like my, my, brain, feel, my brain feels coherent again. If we get to April and Clay is 85 to 90% of Clay and Jamal Murray's out and Kawhi Leonard's out, I think the Warriors can indeed contend to win the West. Now, that's obviously a huge if, but let me tell you why. They were and why I'm bullish and why I'd probably, I don't know if I'd take the over, but I'd lean to taking the over. 
They were 39-33 and 33 last season, which puts them on a 44-45 win pace over 82 games. So they're close already to the line. Once they mothballed Wiseman or Wiseman was injured, they took off. If you look at the numbers, I don't have it in front of me because I haven't looked it up in a while. If you look at Steph plus Draymond, no Wiseman, they were like plus 10 per 100 possessions. Like they were just destroying people, whether that was Looney, who I think will start this season. I don't think Wiseman's starting this season or, or Draymond at center or even smaller lineups than that. They just rediscovered what they were. Jordan Poole, I think, proved I'm ready for a real rotation role on a good team. I'm helpful. And to your point about the young players and why I think Bayelitsa and Porter are actually important is I actually see a very uncomfortable situation where Wiseman specifically could be marginalized because I don't think there's any ambivalence about what their goals are this year. Their goals are to win. There is no they're going to develop and win and try to win. Their goals are to win. So if you had to ask me to predict what the Warriors will do – they're going to start Looney, and we know Looney's an 18-minute-a-game, 20-minute-a-game player. That leaves you 28 minutes for other backup centers. I think Draymond is going to get some of those minutes as a backup center. I could see even Bailitza, if he's in shape, getting some minutes as a backup center. I could see Wiseman being relegated a little bit to bit minutes and that being good for the team. I just think this team, when they got Juan Toscano Anderson out there with Steph and Draymond, it just looked like they had rediscovered what Steve Kerr envisions them to be is this ball movement, flying off screens machine. Obviously, they've been mentioned as a Simmons destination. We can talk about that or not. I don't think there's been any ever serious traction there at all. I do think it's interesting. I think the fit could be better than people are thinking it is, but let's just pretend that doesn't happen. I think there is a roadmap here. We haven't mentioned Iguodala's back, you know, all that. I think even leaving aside Kaminga, Moody Moses, Moses Moody, Rev Rudy, Roy Moody, Moses Moody, <laughs> and Wiseman. I think even leaving aside the young guys everyone wants to talk about, I think there is a roadmap to this being a really good team. It just might not get there till April, and it may never get there if we come back and it's like, oh yeah, Clay just had two of the most devastating injuries in sports. He's and not it might even require close. them, and it might require them, like you said, because I think that's actually my question: is like, are you willing to kind of stash these guys? that you just drafted, which it's a really unusual situation to have that much young, top-end young talent and not play them, which you can do it. Um, and you're right. It becomes a question of what responsibility do you have, if any, to play these guys that you took literally at the top of the draft? Zero. I'll, I'll, I will tell you right now. Thing. Zero. And that's really unusual. So they can do that. But I guess in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to try to make some minutes for these guys and that there's some responsibility to do it. Of, of course they will. Of course they will. But it's not if – you, if you put Wiseman on the floor and he's not helping you win and he's in fact contributing to you losing – and I'm not down on Wiseman. I actually think people were way too hard on Wiseman last year. He's a rookie who did not play in college, did not play in summer league, all of that. He's obviously got some a lot to work out, both in terms of developing a power game on offense, like a physicality on the boards. Defensively, he's all over the place. I, I just think he was about what you should have expected for an adult rookie center. I don't. I'm not down or high on him. I just think Kaminga Moody. We'll see. I just think the Warriors. They will play those guys. But they're not going to play them a lot if they're not helping the team win. The goal this year is for them to win, and I think they will win a fair amount of games. I haven't done the standings yet, but you know the West is going to be all over the place. It's just a shame that we have two would-be contenders who are missing elite players in Kawhi and Jamal Murray for at least most of the season, if not all of it. But I think the Warriors. I'm. I. I am not pessimistic. I get why you're pessimistic. I am not. I think the Warriors are going to be good. I think they. I think Steve Kerr proved last season. I can solve a flawed team by the end of the year and figure it out. And I think they can build off that. They don't have the problem-solving process ahead of them anymore as much as they did last year. So we disagree. I'm going to let you keep rolling because this is fun. Pick it, no, unless no, you no, have no. more Warriors I, thoughts. I, go. I want you to – you haven't given me a, a team of your own yet, uh, optimism or pe- pessimism. So give me one if, if, you, if you can. If not, I'll give right. you one more. All right. I'm going to give you one. Okay. I'm going to give you one. Is It's going to bring me no pleasure. Okay. I have a, a feeling bit. this is going to be one that I have on the other end of the side, on the other bring, side of the margin too. Go it's ahead. It's going to bring me no pleasure, and I want to be clear. I'm talking about the regular season. 
I'm talking about win totals and seedings and where this team will finish. Not talking fans of this team. I'm not talking about playoff equity, championship equity, which we will get to if you want. But in terms of regular season wins and where this team will finish in in the standings, I am lower than consensus on the Miami Heat. And the reason is very simple. I got very excited when they traded Goran Dragic and Precious Achua for Kyle Lowry. I think that's a move you make. It's especially a move you make when you're the Miami Heat and your ethos is today, 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 F tomorrow. I got very excited when they swiped the aging but still solid defensively, even if he's a nothing on offense, P.J. Tucker from the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. Love the starting five, which I presume will be Lowry, Robinson, Butler, Tucker, Bam. Lowry, Butler, Bam is like the Bermuda Triangle of hell. They fit perfectly together. No one is going to want any part of that team defensively. They're awesome. Hero is a sixth man. Like it. I think Hero has a bounce back year. I think the NBA world soured way too fast on Tyler Hero. I think he's going to have a good year. It's everything after that where I'm like, oh my God, Gabe Vincent's the backup point guard. Yeah, he's showing flashes. Spo likes him. We'll see. Max Struess is going to be heavily involved. Victor Oladipo is hurt. KZ Okpala has never really done it in any of the times he's given been given a chance. Markeith Moore is fine. Deadman is a backup center is fine. The Yurt 7 kid, who knows? I just think when you look at age and minutes load of the three stars, the, of, of, of the age of Kyle Lowry, the age slash minutes that Butler has played, Bam's obviously young and can play infinite minutes, plus the lack of depth, Plus the likelihood that you're either load managing some guys to some degree or somebody gets injured. I could see a scenario where Miami is fifth, sixth, and their only goal. And I think this is actually, if I'm Miami, my only goal is get out of the play-in and have my three best players healthy for the playoffs. And then we have a chance. Then we have a fighting chance and a puncher's chance and some championship equity. But I can also see a downside we're getting out of the play-in is tougher than it should be, given how splashy their acquisitions were, how good the top, how well the top end talent fits. So I don't know what their over/under is for regular season wins. And by the way, this was a fifth seed the year they made the finals. Miami has not had like right. a great regular season since LeBron left. I- I'm taking probably the under. I don't again. I don't know where the line is, but I when they first made those moves, I think it was forty-seven and a half for them. I, think. I would take the under probably. I, when they first made those moves, I thought, no-brainer, third in the East. Right. The more I thought about it, the more I looked at their roster, I think maybe third most championship equity in the East, maybe fifth or sixth standings in the East. So that's that's all I'm saying. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'll say that. Um, I will say that I feel like it, Miami is probably one of the teams where when you look at the top end of what they've got, you feel pretty good about it. And then when you look further down the roster, it gets pretty thin pretty quickly. Um, and Tucker and Tucker is a zero on offense. Like, I think Miami's offense, I'm going to be, I think defensively they're going to be awesome, top five, six. I think their offense, if you tell me right now they're 18th, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they could be better than that because Lowry's still really good and Butler's a monster, but maybe 18th is low. But if, you, if they're sniffing around average, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And I mean, it is interesting because I kind of feel like most of us praised their offseason with the idea that it maybe it lifts their ceiling to have Lowry there. And and obviously, when you could take Tucker away from the team that just won the whole thing, you're going to applaud that. But it is interesting to kind of hear you say that if they finished fifth or sixth, it wouldn't be that surprising. And that's essentially where they were last year. And normally when you're talking about finishing in that range and it's where you just finished and you just got knocked out. Um, in the opening round, basically, you're normally not thought of as a title contender. But, you know, I, I do think it's a team that probably more than others between Jimmy and then with, with Lowry, you need you just need him healthy. And if you get there healthy and yeah. you've got Bam there and he's, you know, he's in the shape that he's always in, that you've got, you've got a chance. And I think that's kind of all you could really ask for. I don't know, unless you're doing revisionist history with, with some of the stuff with, uh, with Harden and what they could have done last year. Like this is probably the best you could realistically ask for right now um, with who was available. I don't think that, I don't think they had any shot at Harden with, with what they were actually realistically going to trade. I mean, whether you want to say hero or the hero plus the, they don't have picks. I mean, look at what they got for Harden. They could have gotten, 
it's actually kind of insane that Houston has zero players, actual like veteran NBA players left from the Harden trade. They have only the rookies and the picks. They also tanked the season, so they got Jalen Green, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they could have had Levert. They chose Oladipo instead, et cetera. But we don't have to get into that. I think, I, I like I said, I think Miami just has to look at the season as we're going to have to get through both Brooklyn and Milwaukee, probably. I don't know that there's a scenario where they avoid one of them before the finals. All we want to do is not play them in the first round again. Let's just get let's just both escape the play-in and have a first-round matchup that's not one of those guys. And we'll and if we're healthy, we're good to go. Um, I give you the next team. So I'll, I'll pivot from that, and I'll give you my last team that I'm low on, kind of as you brought up Lowry there with Miami. Uh, it's a, a team that was rumored to be really in, in heavy pursuit for Kyle Lowry. It's the Mavs. Um, I... Look, this team this is so fun. I, I love this, Chris. I love it. <laughs> I, I I just can't really bring myself to really feel that differently about their team. I mean, they very clearly, very clearly needed another guy to take some of the pressure off Luca. The ball handling responsibility, you know, the idea that this is someone that you, you know, as we talk about, it's crazy. You looked at if you look at the over-unders this this summer. They're all really low. I think even the Nets are at like 54 and a half, which, you know, if they're if two of their three guys play most of the season, they should win more games than that. Um, and the reason that the over-unders are so low throughout the league, you know, you have some of the people from the big books basically saying, we recognize now that we're in a new day as far as these teams not really giving a damn how many games they win. They just need to be healthy for the playoffs. Um, so if the name of the game is kind of making sure your guys are – fit and you know that they're good to make it through the end of the season okay it's because you can load manage them and not and be able to hand the reins to somebody else granted the Mavs have Jalen Brunson he's very good backup point guard one of the best in the league but they don't have that many guys that can just kind of reliably step in and really really take the pressure off Luka when they really need a basket when they really need someone to create for them I think the hope was that they could go out and get Lowry and very quickly you heard the reports the minute the free agency ended started, I'm sorry, that he was headed to Miami. So that was someone they wanted. And, you know, again, I know that this free agency class was not, you know, a killer class or anything like that. But, you know, to basically end up with Reggie Bullock, uh, look, I like Reggie Bullock. He's a fine player. He helps them. Um, But when that's kind of the extent of what you go out and get, uh, I, I guess, I mean, but I, at this point, if you're thinking that the Mavs have a really great shot to win it or a much better chance to win it than last year, I'm kind of scratching my head as to why you would think that aside from just thinking that Luka takes another big step. But again, and this is goes back to what I was saying about the Hawks, not all progress is linear. Um, it doesn't mean that you know every year you're going to see someone make a big seismic leap. We've already seen Luka make a leap or two like that into the top five discussion You know, as far as where he lands as an individual player. Um, so I'm just really not in love with it. I mean, I could see an argument in which you say, well, Porzingis is healthier and maybe they, you know, maybe they benefit from that. And, you know, I know that they were completely wiped out in some cases last year with the virus. A lot of teams were, I can see that argument too. Um, they're not that far off from having won a series. I know they haven't gotten one yet since Luke has been there. Uh, so you can make that argument that it doesn't take that much more for them to, to just win around. But I just, you know, the idea that, you know, that Luca is going to be the favorite for MVP or that this is a team that has a, a real shot to be a real contender. I don't really see that, um, not with how minimal their changes were this offseason. Well, I think there are three three things jump off right off the bat because I had I actually have Dallas on the opposite side. Of the see, I love this. Um, this is probably my favorite podcast with you already. Number one, two teams that are better than Dallas are missing Kawhi Leonard the player who wiped them out in the playoffs in a seven-game bloodbath and, and, and kicked them down across the finish line Touché. with legendary performances, particularly in surviving game six in Dallas, and Jamal Murray for the Nuggets. That's one thing. I will say that the a t- if you ask what are the biggest wild cards in the league this year, somewhere in the top five league-wide is a name you did not mention yet in discussing the Dallas Mavericks, and it's a name that why they are hard for me to project, and that's Jason Kidd who left a trail of bad feelings behind him in Milwaukee, 
who left a broken defense that was totally out of step with what the, how the league was playing. It actually is, frankly, a little bit more in step with how some teams are playing now than it was three years ago. And as soon as Jason Kidd was out, the Bucks became a 60-win team. Now, did it take three years for them to become a, a, a champion? Yes, you know, but still, they became a 60-win team immediately. I don't know how he's going to scheme defensively. I don't know what his offensive identity is going to be, if he's going to try to install more elbow touches and stuff like he had in Milwaukee, or if it's just going to be Luka, Luka, Luka. You're completely right that they did not get a secondary ball handler. They basically ran it back, except they they went shooting over defense with Josh Richardson out, Reggie Bullock in. I like the Sterling Brown acquisition for them. I think he can be helpful. Um, maybe they think Tim Hardaway can can take on even more of a ball handling load than he has in the past. Uh, but to me, the obviously, and Porzingis, do you want to project a bounce back here? Maybe. I don't know. They were the, uh, here, here are the Mavs stats with Porzingis as the only big man on the floor. Are you ready? Okay. This is according to Cleaning the Glass. Now, this is where this is with every other big man on the bench, including Kleba, with whom he fits like a glove. Uh, according to Cleaning the Glass, 119 points per 100 possession. Amazing. Yay, offense. 131 points allowed per 100 possessions, which is basically like... You have one defender lay down and take a nap on the baseline. That's how many points you give up. Until that number gets better, I'm a little worried because I think I think ultimately Porzingis has to play more five for this team to reach its ceiling. They clearly don't think he can play five because they have Powell, Boban, Cauley Stein, all these guys back. But I do the the Doncic, Kleba. Porzingis trio was plus 12 per 100 possessions. You mentioned that they got killed by COVID midway through the season. I think they're deep. I think they're solid. I think Luka plus shooting is just a really hard formula to beat. So I'm a little more bullish. What does that mean? Do I think they can like win the West? Do I think they can win the title? I would think those things are pretty improbable. But I think Dallas, look, there's this obsession among Mavs fans. Well, the front office didn't do anything. We didn't get a second guy. We, we got to get a second guy. I'm like, well, okay. You traded everything that you would trade for a second guy to get a second guy. Your problem is he hasn't played like a second guy right. consistently. He did in the bubble. That's Porzingis, obviously. He didn't last year. And you can't just snap your fingers and turn uh, distressed asset is not the right term, but sort of player that has to reprove himself as a star and the draft picks you don't even have anymore into a second guy. That's why they were trying to get Lowry because Lowry's 35 or 36, whatever he is. He does not require the bounty that a quote-unquote normal second guy would get. I think he would have fit great in Dallas. It's just not that easy. With the assets they had in hand, I think they're going to be a pretty good team. Like Their starting five is probably going to be Luka, Hardaway, Finney-Smith, Kleba, Porzingis. Like, that's a good starting five. You throw Bullock in there. You can play all sorts of different ways. You throw Powell in for a couple minutes here or there. I, I like the team. I think they're going to be good. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. So I've run through my teams that I'm kind of lowest on relative to if we're talking about the, the betting books, the betting lines, if we're talking about fan reaction, you know, it wasn't really clear what we were basing that on, but I've run through my three. Just at whatever we want. Whatever, whatever we, we want. want. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so I've run through my three for that. Do you want me to go with the team that I'm 
really optimistic about. Ooh, yeah, why not? Let's have a little era of good feelings. So I I gave you the bowls already. I've still got two more of these left. I'm still trying to figure out which to even use because I kind of feel like one or two of them is not almost not fair. Like one, I'll give you that this isn't one of them, but could be. Like the Nets, I think it's widely established that I think among most people that like they should win the title. And I think last year when I would podcast with you before the Harden trade was made, I was like, I don't even think they need to do that. Why would they do that? It will make them almost imbalanced and, you know, lack of depth and everything. I was obviously wrong on that. Right, but wrong because depth ended up hurting them, obviously, when those guys got hurt. Um, But now that they've got other guys that can really handle the ball, I think the Patty Mills move was massive for them. Uh, It's just kind of crazy to look up and down their roster of all the guys they have. I, I would be stunned if they don't win the title based on some of this stuff. Um, so the, the, the betting lines and stuff don't quite reflect that. I kind of feel like they're neck and neck with them and the Lakers and some of the other teams, they probably deserve to be more of that, but I feel like it'd be kind of lame to pick them. So I'll go one, one rung lower than that. And I'll say that the jazz I'm a lot more optimistic on than I think most people like, I think the Lakers are the team that comes up most frequently in terms of the talk of a favorite. Um, I think the jazz even though they made one move that I probably would not have been caught dead making and getting Hassan Whiteside, uh, who has to be one of the biggest contracts. Yeah, but, that, but, that, but, that, but that's harmless. That's, that's a backup center minimum minutes. And I think they also got Rudy Gay to enable some more. And, and Eric Pascal. Small ball five. And that, Small is, ball fives. that is why I love what they did, because I feel like more than any team, I think they sought out to really address, okay, let's look at what really killed us here in the postseason. And I think they address that head on by going to get someone who I think could be a fantastic small ball five for them. Him and Pascal, I think were just easily two of the best pickups all off season. Maybe the ones that flew beneath the radar. Like when you talk about guys that aren't starter level, uh, Patty Mills has been talked about a decent amount because he ended up with Brooklyn. But I think those might've been my two favorite pickups of any team really uh, because of how big and, and physical those guys can be, but also, how skilled they are and how they can hit you from mid-range and score on you and make them a really, really unpleasant team to play against, a team that's already not fun to play against in Utah. Um, I really think they should be the favorites. I, I really do. I feel like they address the thing that was really holding them back most. Um, obviously, health comes into play. You know, you don't want Mitchell to miss 20 games. You don't want Conley to be, you know, just coming back right at the time that you're starting the playoffs either. But, um, you know, I don't think anyone's down on the Jazz, but I, I feel like, as optimistic as people might be about them, I feel like they deserve even more benefit of the doubt because they really address the concerns, the biggest concerns I had about them from last year. Well, they won at almost a 60-win pace last year. They had a point differential of not just a great team, but a historic team. They essentially brought the whole gang back, minus switching out the Niang favors back up front court for gay white side. There's no reason they shouldn't be successful. I mean, they they should be. They're over. People are aghast that they're over under is pretty low. But like you said, those are scrunched toward the middle in the reflection of a league that's pretty competitive, sure. top to bottom. It's also just it's hard to be that good for a second straight regular season. It's just hard to be that good. I think some some regression in just the scoring margin, the win total, like sure. that's that prop is probably you know Mike Conley's getting older, Ingles is getting older, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's. Probably baked into that over-under. I agree with you. Regular season, they should be fine. They're a really good team. Like, I, and and I, I I gave them a lot of abuse. I, I Despite Conley being banged up and Mitchell's ankle being an issue, I, I still think it was a disaster that they couldn't even get the Clippers without Kawhi to Game 7. You can't even get that to 7? Yeah. You can't get that to a Game 7 at home? Like, come on. Get it to a Game 7 at home. But I will say, I'm not going to say too much more about the Jazz. I have Tim McMahon coming on later in the week. The only thing I'll say is, I think this is almost close to a make or break year for the Jazz. And that That's sounds fair. ridiculous because Mitch, Mitchell and Gobert are under contract forever. Um, I just feel like if, and, and Mitchell's still young, obviously. I just, if they go through another year where they lose a round earlier than expected, both internally and externally, I just think you're reaching the point 
we saw it with the Clippers in the CP DJ Blake era, where you just start looking around at each other and being like, man, again. Yeah. I know there's been injuries and Conley was injured in the bubble or for part of the bubble and all this. I, I get it. You just start looking around, and being like, man, we can't. We're 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 over the hump, and I don't even know like what that means. Like here here's this here's a sentence I'm just gonna say to you. It's all facts. We all know it, but when you say it out loud, it's like whoa. Rudy Gobert is 29 with a 46.7 million dollar player option in 2026. Like that's a lot for Rudy Gobert. Wow. And I just think, I I think regular season they're gonna there's just gonna be more pressure on. I I don't know. Like if you ask me to who has the most pressure on them in the NBA to win big this year. Obviously, the Lakers and the Nets are one and two. I think the Bucks have shed a lot of that pressure. Obviously, they are going to put expectations on themselves. They want to repeat. I think Utah's third, and, and, and I think they're under an enormous amount of pressure. And I'm interested. I'm interested to see how they react. I want to pivot away from them because I don't want to talk too much about them. I don't want to spoil this sure, go ahead. podcast. I'm going to let. I, I'm going to give you a team um, that I'm. I'm. I guess a little higher on. I'm. I'm going to give you a positive team because okay. my negative teams are kind of boring. Um, I'm, I, and maybe I'm not higher on them than consensus because their over-under is pretty high. I think Boston's going to be solid this year. I think Boston is, is firmly in that top six to me. Um, and, and I mean, I can tell you why. You're laughing at me already. Why are you laughing at me? No, because, I, I mean, it, it's, it's funny because I, I, I think I was tough on them. So I, I co-host a podcast with Michael Pina and Rohan Nadkarni from uh, Sports Illustrated. And I remember making a comment to Michael. It was kind of outlandish in hindsight. But I was like, I mean, you know, they're obviously going to be really reliant on their their top two guys. This was before they had signed anybody to replace Kemba at the time. So I was like, I mean, yeah, we got to see. You know, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I could see a world in which they don't. Michael, Michael's like, what did you just say? Um, which it was a pretty ridiculous comment to make. But I, so I think even framing it that way, I think they'll make the playoffs. But the idea that I was kind of like, you know, let's see what they do for the rest of the offseason because I wasn't that impressed at that moment in time at the beginning of free agency for them. I think they cleaned it up toward the end. But no, I mean, I think that they certainly they're going to have more top end talent than most teams anywhere. Um, and so I think they're in that conversation anyway. But I'd love to hear why you think, you know, why you're more optimistic about them than most I think their problem last year was because of injuries and other things, they had to give a huge amount of minutes to just straight up marginal to not very good NBA players. And like when I say not very good NBA players, I'm aware that a not very good NBA player is an incredible athlete. I'm just saying in relative terms sure. to the top 200 players in the league, whatever, they're just not good enough. I think this year, I would guess, if you told me guess Boston's starting lineup, which I think is not set in stone by any stretch, I would, I would guess Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford at the four for like a token number of minutes, Time Lord at the five. Your bench becomes Dennis Schroeder, good player. Peyton Pritchard, good player. Josh Richardson, some combination of these. Josh Richardson, people are like, why did they give him that one-year extension? Why not? It's not that much. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's like a, it, I, I still kind of believe he can be a good bench player and a good team. Uh, I think Neesmith has a chance to be solid. You put Horford as a backup five. If Grant Williams or Wancho give you anything, I just think they're like 10, 11 deep in good NBA players. Uh, and particularly, I think their defense has a chance to be really good. I think Time Lord is one of the more intriguing players in the league, a guy who can really make a leap. I think that contract they got him on is a potential bargain. I mean, that's I, I love for, Robert Williams. I think he, we did our top 100. I was like stunned at how high I put him on my list because I just think, the guy, there's so few people in the league that can do what he does physically. Um, and you can see him figuring out, because there were some things that weren't really quite there initially, just seemingly like IQ-wise and, you know, just learning the game a little bit and, and just kind of being more of a pro. Um, I'm so high on him. So, I mean, I, I understand the upside there for sure. I mean, it's it's a pretty... I, 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 let me be clear. I don't think Boston's like winning the East or upsetting Milwaukee or Brooklyn. I just don't hear their name a lot in like the Atlanta, Philly, Miami sort of contingent below there. And I think they should be there and may actually finish with a better record than one or more of those teams. Sure. Um, I, and obviously they have a rookie coach in Ime Oduka. We'll see a rookie head coach. We'll see how he does. They, they have some interesting roads not taken that they didn't go with. But 
I, I just think their team is, again, in the regular season, depth, toughness, defense is a recipe to win a fair number of games. That's all. And I think their top two guys are just are really good like and getting and getting better. Um, They've got a better top two than most teams have. I mean, there's no question about and that. And hopefully, it, hopefully Jason Tatum, like Jason Tatum had COVID last year and really struggled with it. Hopefully, you know, it, we, who knows you know, what, what will befall any players this year, but hopefully everyone has better luck. Uh, last team that I want to talk about, and I couldn't decide which category. I actually went back and forth with this team in either category. I'm just <laughs> interested in give, give me – Give me a few minutes on where you where you have the Blazers, who obviously are dealing with a lot of internal drama and under under enormous pressure to be successful because of that internal drama. Where do you what did you have them as a candidate for either? Not either really. Side here? Not really. I just kind of had them right in the middle. Uh, at this point, I, I've told I've said this on your podcast before about not really, not really. Every time I make a, an assumption about what I think they'll do one year to the next, I'm wrong. You know, they a year where I feel like they didn't do anything, and so I'm really low on them. And then it's like they just run it back and they're good. Um, you know, the next year they don't do anything, but they're good. And so I'm like, okay, well they're going to have a, a great season this year because they're good last year. And then they're kind of disappointing. And so this year, I don't have any really strong thoughts on it. I think it's helpful that it seems like Dame has kind of settled in now and just kind of said, I'm around. Um, but I was like you, where I was trying to, I was trying to kind of figure out a way to make an argument for why I'd be optimistic or pessimistic, and I'm just, I really didn't have one. It, to me, it kind of feels like they just kind of move some parts around, taking a flyer here or there. But it, I, I just kind of feel like they're just in the middle for me. Like they'll make the playoffs as an, you know, a playing team or an eight seed or something like that, and it'll just be what it is. I don't really feel like I've, I've got strong feelings about them. The most mysterious stat. One of them from last season, and the one that I, I can't tell how much it matters because because the sample size is not gigantic, although it's actually not small either, is that Portland's starting five from last year, Dame, CJ, Powell, Covington, Nurkic, which I, if I had to guess, I think that would be their starting five again with Nance, Larry Nance Jr., who was a good addition, coming off the bench as something of a six-man. That starting five was plus 13 per 100 possessions in the regular season. It was one of the best lineups in the NBA once they got Powell informed it. They had that really nice stretch. Um, what was it like a six or seven game run there for a while where they were just kind of untouchable for a minute towards the end of once they got everybody back after the trade deadline. And you think, well, they lost in six games to a Denver team that did not have any of its guards, starting guards, really. Right. Well, how good could that lineup have really been then? It was even better in the playoffs than it was in the regular season. Denver won that six-game series by eight points. So Portland was minus eight for the series. Portland's starting five was plus 47 for the series. That means every other lineup took a big old dump on the court, and they were minus 55 in all other lineup minutes. So that starting five is the foundation maybe – of something interesting. And that made me kind of optimistic because I like the fit of Nance. But the thing that made me swing back toward, well, maybe I'm pessimistic, is the rest of the team is like all unproven guys. Now, maybe this is finally the year Anthony Simons makes a leap. He's, he's, he's showing flashes here or there. He shot it well here, shot, didn't shoot it well there. You know, Snell hasn't missed a shot in three years and yet still doesn't really get a lot of playing time. Think about that. Think about how well, he, again, he doesn't miss threes or free throws and he still doesn't play very much. Ben McLemore, fine. Nasir Little, Cody Zeller is a backup five. I actually think I'd rather use Nance as a backup five if I could. I'm not sure I can than Cody Zeller. It's just once I get by, by guy number six, I'm counting on too many unproven guys for my taste or guys that have proven to be not playoff rotation worthy guys. That worries me. The the fact that I might, if some of those guys, if, if I don't get enough out of Simon, Snell, and McLemore as my backup wings, maybe I will. They're such good shooters playing with CJ and Dame. Maybe they'll just knock down a million shots and this will look foolish. Then I might have to play Rocco more as a three and go Covington, Nance, Nurkic. Because again, this team was like the worst competitive, the worst defensive team among teams that were actually like trying to win at the end of the season. 
And that's the problem they have to solve. And Rocco at the three, I just, I get a little, it gets a little creaky. It gets a little creaky, a little slow, a little creaky, a little big, a little, it, it, maybe it works defensively, not offensively. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not sure ultimately what I think of this team. I do believe in that starting five. I believe in Powell's fit with that team and what they were going for with someone who just gets downhill. And that guy who's going to just oomph, get downhill. I like Nurkic. It's the bench to me that is the wild card. And if the bench doesn't bring enough, man, the West is no joke. So I don't know what I think about Portland. I, I, I went back and forth. And I mean, one other thing that we brought up with two of the other teams, with um, certainly with the Mavs, on the flip side here, you've, you've also, and, and with the Celtics, you've got a, another first-time coach. I guess the kid wasn't a first-timer, but you've got a first-time coach in this situation too. You've got new blood taking over a team that had been coached by the same guy for this whole run. So, I mean, that part of it makes them interesting too. I mean, I, I just, with their defense being the way it is, I, it's hard for me to really, if they, if they outperform what the thought, the prevailing thought is that they'll do, which I think is that again, they will be like a back end Western conference playoff team. If they get there, for them to outshoot that or kind of outkick their coverage there, they, they've got to be better on defense. I don't think I don't think there's that much room for them to be way better than what they were in their hottest stretches on offense last year. They were number two in the league in offense. Number two. I know. Like they so. were just a good offense. They were like an all time great. So I mean, about, obviously last year. Think about what we were saying about the Bulls, man. I I, I just think that uh, what you said, where it's like the difference for them to be here versus here is them being not number eight, but like number four. <laughs> the Blazers do that every year, seemingly, where they just torch teams on offense. I mean, obviously, Dame is Dame, and you've got the guys around him. They've got smart players around him on offense. It's just that they, they don't defend worth the damn half the time. And so it, I well, think— their Well, start, their starting five was really good defensively. They were good. They were solid, good, like better than average defensively with Nurkic on the floor. Yeah, Obviously, the backcourt is going to be a liability defensively, period. End of story. We know it. We've seen the movie a hundred times by now. It was their bench. Like, it, is it? But, but Mello and Cantor was such a toxic defensive combination. But it's not as if they – other Nance will help, but it's not as if everyone behind Nance is like some kind of stopper. But they shouldn't be that bad defensively. And if they're 19th on defense and 4th in offense – that's pretty good. I mean, we'll see. Maybe they are. Maybe they are Bulls West. I don't know. I, I'm confused. That was they. They're on both sides of my ledger, Chris. I'm confused. I don't know. I got to see it. Yeah. Well, I've got. Let's see. All right. I'm trying to figure out who to use for my last team here. I've got two. No, don't. don't. Save it. Save it. Save it. We've already gone over an hour. We'll save Cowboys. it for the next podcast. We'll save. It. Chris Herring. <laughs> I, I get. I'm just going to tease it. I'm going to tease it. Blood in the Garden. Not is it for? It's not for sale. It's not for sale. You can't buy it yet. When it's it comes on, out, it, you can pre-order. You can pre-order. pre-order. All the cool kids. So pre pre-order it. It's awesome. We'll do a proper podcast when it comes out. Read everything Chris does at Sports Illustrated. Uh, thank you for coming on uh, the Low Post podcast again. We always love to see it. Chris Herring, everybody. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.